Cristiano Ronaldo seems so relieved after scoring that penalty kick for Portugal against Ghana, but he never thought that the team almost lost the three points they had already put in their pocket. Moreover, Brazil's two-to-nothing win over Serbia was as sweet as Richardson's volley in the second half, but Neymar's injury definitely soured the result for the five-star powerhouse. Welcome back to CGTN Sports Talk. I am Li Xiang, and I'm glad to be joined by my colleague Josh here. Great to be back. Hey, so when I was watching the Portugal game, I was surprised or even shocked for several times, especially when I thought you know Portugal had okay three to one, they're gonna win so easy, and then at the end, first gonna score their second goal and that mistake by their goalkeeper, it was just like whoa, this really happened. Yeah, that was a very weird game because for that first half, like nothing happened. Like、mm-hmm. barely any shots on goal, barely anything happened. It got a little bit chippy, but that's kind of what happens these days with Ghana. Then in the second half, it very much came alive. The Ronaldo goal—I mean, the Ronaldo penalty—I think was payback for the goal that was ruled offside because it was very soft. And shouldn't have been ruled off.、Mm. But then, if you are setting that precedent at the start, a player like Ronaldo, a, a player like anyone, really knowing that when they get into the box, if it's a fifty-fifty and they go down, well, you've done it once. He has seen them given. It'll happen the second time. That penalty was a gift for writing off the first time. That got Ronaldo on the board, setting a record. Kind of triggered. The I, like it, it was weird. It kind of triggered them into the same mode as Germany, where they started playing a bit too cocky,、mm-hmm. and that's when Andrew Ayew, Andre Ayew, snapped into it.、Uh, Danilo for Portugal passed both of those goals, and in like it, if it wasn't for him, that game probably would have ended three nil. But he set up both of those goals, and the thing is with this Ghana team is. You know the thing with World Cups is you see a lot of these teams only every four years. You only kind of remember what they used to be, and it'll only be in your mind maybe five, six, seven games prior. But it's an entirely different team. This Ghana side, it's a long, long way from the Asamoah-Gyan side that got to the quarters in 2010. They are, and like they, I, I have to be honest, their team I do not like watching because I covered them for the African Cup of Nations,、mm-hmm. and. The game where they got knocked out, there was red cards, there was a fight. Andre Ayew got a cut over his head. As soon as he scored, I felt like even though it was one all, I felt like I could see the game slipping away because they got cocky and they were celebrating like they'd won it. They, when he got taken off, you could see he he was like walking around as if he'd like settled the score. Then when Joao Felix made it two one, a few minutes later, you could see they were going mad and there was like gaps there too. Gaps there to exploit. Fast forward two minutes, they were crumbling. Rafael Leao scores with a shot which has already become a meme. Where from behind the goal, you can see the smile on his face. And I really did think Portugal were in the ascendancy. Here they are; they're setting the tone. And then Osman Bukhari scores with like a minute to go and of、uh, normal time.、It、gets everyone nervous again. Came down to Danilo Pereira at the in, in the back. So I feel like this is a team where. We see a lot of talent, a lot of skill, but there are the gaps in the centre backs, which have already been exploited exploited by a pretty poor team. And if they don't get fixed going forward, 
that's going to be like the Achilles heel, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember before the World Cup began, including us, we, uh, everyone was talking about this was also the last dance of Ronaldo. He maybe it will be his final salvation if he uh, brings leads Portugal to win the World Cup. Blah blah. Everything is about Ronaldo. But after watching last night's game. I totally believe that this team now should be led by Bruno Fernandes because he's the <laughs> one who got them the falling two goals right after he was able to play in his okay. This is a basketball term, sweet spot, but that's the position、yeah. he's comfortable with, and that's how Portugal didn't really step onto the old way of Argentina and Germany because now they gave the role to Fernandes, the role he likes, and that's how they won. Yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because, like you say, going into this, the story was Ronaldo this, Ronaldo that. We saw the pictures of him and Fernandez not really seeing eye to eye. We did kind of wonder what was going to happen. What I saw from this is, if you didn't know any of the rumors, you didn't know anything about it, you would think this was a team that was all firing on on the same page because this is the first time I feel like I've seen Ronaldo used correctly in the sense of. When he's in the box, you know he's a threat, but you also know he's not going to track back. You also know he's limited by what he can do, so you have to build the team around him. So when you can't have him as your main guy, though your focus of the team, your engine room, so to speak, you need someone else, and that was Fernandez, and he did it absolutely fantastically. Like you are right in the sense of like he to me came out of this game as the star because yeah, set up both those goals. Moved the ball perfectly. If you look at the way that whole system was, you had him basically. I would say midfield on his own, but Cristiano Ronaldo and João Felix play so high up the pitch now. João Felix a little maybe a step or two behind to play Ronaldo in, but it all flows through Fernandez, and he had a fantastic game.、Mm. Uh, as what I heard from the broadcasting, Ghana actually are the youngest team in the World Cup, and. That was reflected on their inexperience of guarding, of say catching the、uh, key moments of the game, but also it was reflected on their passion and energy. That's basically how they scored the two goals. Do you、mm-hmm. think they actually regretted for、uh, putting Ayo on the bench so early? Because the two goals happened like minutes after his substitution. Yeah, well, that that was it. That's kind of what I what I was saying with with him with the way he was behaving, like. When he scored, it wasn't a case of like, oh, we got it one one all time to fight back, lads. It was like I scored. Look at me. They get him off, and he was like celebrating with his bench. So it's like if you would have kept him on, I think that energy would have translated at least into a more solid attack. Whereas when they took him off, it seemed to create a bit of confusion in the in the team. It seemed to make. At least get the feeling of like oh one one job done but all sorted, and it was a really strange sub substitution. I do understand it from a technical point of view because he is like the elder statesman of the team. So okay, fifteen minutes left, trade him out for his younger brother. That kind of makes sense, but he is also very much like the heart and soul. Like if you were to say flip it the other way around, if you would have taken Ronaldo off after he scored his penalty. Well, it doesn't really matter because it's still the team's still running through Bruno Fernandez. You still have João Felix up top. Whereas with this, it's like, well, Ayu kind of is 
he's the captain, but he's also the guy who scores all the goals. He's also the guy who is kind of the talisman, so to speak. By removing him, you just they just opened up total weakness, which was exploited like right immediately. You know, it went from being one one to three one in the space of seven minutes. It really was a mistake by manager Otto Otto, and I assume it's one of those things where I was going to say I assume they're not going to do that again. But like I say, Andre Ayo is getting up there in age. Mm-hmm. If they want to keep him around, they're going to have to do something better, like perhaps bring him on for second half or something like that. Because, yeah, it seems like if you move him like you do, like or like they did, so to speak, um, it's going to cause problems. Yeah. This win for uh, Portugal was not so perfect, but the win of、uh, Brazil over Serbia was actually better than is it was much better than the two to nothing score could、uh, actually show. Because first the second goal, it re- literally remind me of Jurgen Klinsmann's、uh, score mo- scoring move against South Korea in the nineteen ninety four World Cup. That was like an arch you could never repeat it again, and the dominance of Brazil. I really thought Serbia could cause some trouble for Brazil, but apparently they couldn't. Well, I, I think you're. I think you're right in one sense, but how, the fact that it took so long to break Serbia down. True. I think that I think that may be considered a bad sign going forward. However, you are right. That second goal. I mean, both goals from Richarlison were good, but that second one was absolutely gorgeous. It's one of those things where it, you know, I I must admit, I do watch this thinking he was. Our star striker for a while at Everton, and we didn't play him consistently. We didn't treat him like a star striker.、Mm-hmm. Then, weirdly enough, he goes to Tottenham, and he starts on the bench. He's like a sec. He's like a second striker almost. They bring him on when, like, say Harry Kane is a little bit tired, a little bit injured, play him a little bit, maybe alongside Son, a little bit further behind,、um, alongside Kulusevski, things like that. Then it comes to Brazil. Number nine up top, and for a long time, I mean, I think overall he had the fewest touches of anyone on the pitch. I know the commentary said after the second goal he'd only had three touches in the Serbia box, but two of those were goals, and one of them so far is goal of the season. Like this guy is incredible.、Um, the thing which I do wonder though is moving the ball up and getting it beyond this Serbia team. Because this Serbia team like has caused problems throughout qualifying. I think、mm-hmm. that I mean, I, if I'm if I remember correctly, they're the reason why there had to be the playoff with Portugal because Serbia, they because they couldn't get past Serbia. Yeah, and there's a lot of talent in that team.、Uh, Mitrovic, both Milinkovic Savic brothers,、uh, Tadic. There's a lot of really good players, but they are very Meat and potatoes in their style of play, and the fact Brazil couldn't really break that down for a very long time, I, I think that's a little bit concerning. Like Vinicius Junior, they kept it like his thing is like basically getting the ball around the halfway line and just bombing down the wing, but he was kind of pushed so far out. A lot of times he was playing from the byline back inwards, and that by that point it gave Serbia enough time to completely block off the box.、Uh, Rafinha on the other side was kind of absent for a lot of it. Um, this Neymar injury that you mentioned, like I wonder how much of an impact that's going to be because this this felt like the best and the worst of Neymar because he was playing number ten, but he was actually playing number ten. Like he's a little bit further behind the attacking front three, but he was he was playing very well, moving the ball quickly, moving it precisely, setting up a lot of chances. But at the same time, when he was tackled, he was. 
to him like he was in Russia, where you hear him scream, you see him roll three or four times, he's throwing himself on the ground. That's maybe fine when you're 22, mm. 26. He's 30 now. Yeah. He's already had plenty of injuries. When he got taken off, I, to be honest, I didn't see what happened to him. But I do wonder if the, his style of, not his style of play, even his style of playing for fouls is what aggravated the injury. And then the last thing I saw of him on the bench is the doctor was there, the players were sitting around him, but the way the camera was zoomed, you could see he had like tears in his eyes, mm. which makes me think that either he doesn't think he's playing again or he's definitely going to miss, say, a game or two. And then it comes down to if they're still there when it gets to quarters, semis, whatever, he'll be back. But he looked like a player based on his body language, which, you know, could be completely wrong. Let me get ahead of myself there. Could be completely wrong, but the way he was acting, he looked like a player who knows his tournament is over. And just quickly before we move on, it's incredible how deep this bench is because I was looking at the at the um, substitutions. When they took Neymar off, they brought on Anthony, who is the guy that Eric Ten Hag went out of his way for to bring over to Manchester United and has since arrived at United and been like a key player several times. But besides for that, you've got Fred, Rodrigo, Gabriel Jesus and Gabriel Martinelli, none of which are starting. And they all came on for Lucas Paqueta, Vinicius Jr., Richarlison, Neymar and Rafinha. Like on paper, this team should walk the tournament. Mm -hmm. But as we saw them struggling through that first half as we saw them dealing with the Neymar injury, I almost wonder if it's another one of the situations where, yes, they should walk this tournament, but if they all stay healthy, it might end up being the next tournament when they're all a bit more mature. Yeah, it could be. And the uh, scoreless game between Uruguay and South Korea, I know they didn't score anything, but it was actually a pretty exciting game. Yeah, yeah, this is one of those ones where it's like the exception that proves the rule, because so far every nil-nil has been pretty dull yeah um i you know I, I listened to a few podcasts and things and a lot of people were saying that with the nil nil games because there's so many games in a day the nil nil games are handy because you can go and do laundry things like that and not feel like you're missing anything mm -hmm. this was nil nil but like i was on the edge of my seat through most of it the uruguay team are to like you can't really praise these teams too much because it's nil-nil. Mm -hmm. They didn't really prove themselves too well. But this Uruguay team, based on how they were playing, feels to me so far the best team to balance maturity and youth. You know, having Suarez and Darwin Nunez playing the same team. I don't like that Nunez has to play on the wing because he has to make room for Suarez. Mm -hmm. Because Nunez, as I've been following him for Liverpool anyway, he's much better when he can play central. But at the same time, having that having that age and you know veteran veteran status in the middle, with a much younger, much more attacking, much more vibrant player on the wing, feels like a perfect combination. You kind of see that through the midfield as well, where you have like the younger players Valverde and Bentancur playing off the back of like Diego Godin, who I feel like he's been around forever these days. So. This team, to me, feels like one of the few where they've managed their generations correctly. It's just a case of, I feel like Nunez is the guy who should be getting their goals, and he's 
struggling or fighting too much to get back into position. Mm-hmm. Um, as for as for South Korea, like I don't really know much, if anything, about this team. Um, besides, for of course, Son Heung Min. However, in the build up to it, um, a lot of uh, again podcasts, TV shows, and analysis were describing them not as a dark horse, but like a team that will entertain, a team that'll be fun to watch for a neutral because they just kind of give it the all attack, attack, attack style of play. Um, a lot of them now play in Bundesliga, so they have like a more of a European flair. And that's kind of what we got. You know, I there are certain teams, we'll probably get to it soon with Switzerland, like where it's kind of Zedan Shakiri, mm. and then he's surrounded by like 10 players who are very clearly not on his level. Yeah. With this, it felt like Son was the captain, the talisman, very clearly the main man. But everyone else was like playing their heart out as well. Everyone else was really giving a good game. And it's one of those situations where because it's nil-nil, both get one point, they're not both going to get out of the group. But this is, you know, actually, but going back to what I was saying earlier, the way that Ghana are not the team they used to be, and now they're just kind of like bratty, always playing for fouls, a little bit rough around the edges, not very entertaining, not very likable to watch. This South Korea is totally different to the 2002 team where this team actually plays football. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not going yeah, out there and just trying to hack yeah. people to pieces. Yeah. Mm. So it's one of those things where they have very much ascended while Ghana descended. And it's a shame they can't. Well, we'll see what happens next. But it's a shame that neither of these, both of the teams can't get through to the next stage. So for the last game, though Switzerland won and they scored, but it was actually, I think, personally, the most boring games. The most boring game yeah. of the four. Yeah. Yeah, this was very boring. This was, you know, it's yes, it's 1-0, but it feels very much like a 0-0, especially because of how the goals came about. This Cameroon side, you know, it's it's quite favoured because you have, like, Carl Toko Akambi, mm-hmm. Eric Maxim Chupamoting, and they were just terrible. Um, yeah. Vincent, Vincent Abubakar was, like, I think he was the top scorer at AFCON. And having him on the bench kind of made sense because he's older. But to swap him off with Chupamoteng when the team needs goals, I felt like they were just kind of bringing on an old guy for the sake of it. Uh, as for the other side, you look at that team of Switzerland and it's Jerdan Shakiri playing with like three okay-ish guys up front. Granit Xhaka, Remo Freuler kind of making sure the ball doesn't go too far back. And then everyone else is really just struggling. You know, I know the Switzerland team was the team that knocked out France in the Euros, Mm -hmm. but that's because France basically imploded and couldn't get anything done. When you look at how they play, it's really, I believe at the term is like agricultural football, like super basic, super reliant on star players getting things done. Um, Harris Seferovic is still they're like he's the most he's the, the number nine i would say that is the least likely to ever score he, he's got a he is just like you put an open goal in front of him and he will find some way to kick it into rosette i think that's all for today thank you for listening hopefully we'll be hearing from you guys tomorrow see ya. Speak to you then